0: morning folks and uh, welcome if you're a visitor with us and uh, you may have well those of you have been coming you will have realized and if you're a visitor you you won't have done but we've been looking into uh, the Lord's Prayer over the last few months uh, just digging into it and drawing things out from it that have been that have been great it's just been a great blessing over the last couple of months and um, one of the things that I, I find interesting is when I'm talking to people Uh, about faith, even people who who have very, very little knowledge of the Christian faith, one thing they do know is the Lord's Prayer. Somehow they picked up the Lord's Prayer, and it's very familiar to many people. And so we've been looking at something that is familiar, but drawing new things and rich things out of it. And as we've been doing that, I just felt, and I was preparing for this morning, I just felt again to say, I feel this quite strongly, that... um, that God is, there's something prophetic in this for us, that God wants us to find riches and new things in familiar places. So maybe for scriptures that are very familiar to you, God's going to bring new things out of them. But maybe it's places you go to. Maybe it's people you work with. Maybe it's it's things that you do, it's routines that you do that are very familiar. God is saying there's something new in those places and in those people for you to draw things out from, to recognize, to receive, and to draw things out on. So riches in familiar things. I just I just say, tuck that away in your mind and in your heart, and when you're doing something familiar or meeting somebody familiar, maybe you're in your workplace tomorrow, say, Lord, what have I got to receive in this place and from this person today? Okay, so in this familiar Lord's Prayer, last week I got to The bit where it says, um, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Specifically and and, and literally, deliver us from the evil one. And uh, the first thing to recognize, and I said last week, is that when Jesus is giving this prayer to his disciples, excuse me, and for us in the continuing generations, There's an aspect of it. Yes, there's many things. We look at his glory and his kingdom and his name and we uh, pray for his provision both for body and soul and we ask for forgiveness. But in this Lord's Prayer, there is also a, a spiritual warfare aspect to it. And that is because as Christians said this last week, we are in a battle okay we are we live in a spiritual war zone this world and the devil that is who's is the god of this world is in rebellion against god and we're caught in a war zone i know it's you don't like to think about this but if you think some of the war things that are the war zones that are on our news at the moment that's like a, that's like a picture of the spiritual reality for us and that's not to make us fearful but it is to make us careful Peter in 1 Peter 5 says this, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We are in a war zone, and I've seen too many spiritual casualties and even fatalities not to get complacent about this. We're in a battle. John Mark Comer says to become an apprentice of Jesus is to become a soldier in a battle. Somebody else said this, there is never a time when you're not in a battle you're welcome, okay? That's just the reality, okay? Not to make us fearful, but to make us careful. And last week, we looked at temptations, and we said, actually, there are three traditional enemies of the soul that the Christian church has understood. We talked about the world, the flesh, and the devil. And last week, I talked about the temptations of the world and the flesh, the outward pressures of the world that seeks to conform us to its pattern, okay? And uh, we said that two ways, two ways to make sure we can overcome the temptations of the world. First of all, know the love of the Father. When you know how much the Father loves you, the things of this world are trivial. But also, uh, to know the truth. Jesus, in his prayer to, to the Father, he said, Lord, don't take them out of the world, but protect them from the evil one. Do this by setting them apart by your word of truth. And so we have to have our minds renewed by the word of truth so we don't conform to the patterns of this world. And then I said, we also need uh, to overcome the temptations of the flesh, the impulses of the flesh. That darkness that's in the world has gotten into us too. Our flesh, our appetites, our, our distorted desires, our ego. We need to be... Free from that or free from the temptations of that. And I said, you know, there's two ways as well we can be free from those temptations. One, to be honest with you, sometimes it's just getting a grip of ourselves. There's no kind of way of getting around that. The the, the Bible's quite clear about the flesh. Crucify it. (laughs) Jesus says, if your hand's going to use the sin, chop it off. Didn't mean it literally, obviously. But he says, get radical in dealing with the things that lead you into sin. Paul says, I beat my body and make it my slave. Again, not literal. (laughs) You don't have to go around beating yourself up. But you do have to get, get a grip sometimes of the things. Don't play around with the stuff that would lead you into sin. Deal with it radically. But the other thing, again, is to know our identity in Christ. To know that we're new creations in Christ. You know, we know God will forgive us when we sin. Of course he will. But Paul says this, shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase In other words, we just get more and more forgiveness? He says, no, what are you thinking? You died to sin. How can you live in it any longer? He didn't say, oh no, what are you thinking? The grace of God will run out at some point. No, 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 it's never going to run out. But he said, but you're a new creation now. You're a different kind of person. That stuff is beneath you. Don't allow yourself to be degraded and diminished by that stuff. You're a new creation in Christ, okay? But Peter again says, I urge you, abstain from sinful desires, the flesh, which wage war against your soul. See, it's a battle. Anyway, that's what we did last week. That was just a recap. Uh, If you weren't here, listen to it anyway, but that was just a recap. Um, And now we get on to the devil. We've done the world, the flesh, and the one who's behind it all is the devil, So we could read, for example, from Ephesians 6, but well-known scripture, familiar scripture, but let's find something new in it. Okay, verses 10 to 13. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. I told you, we're caught in a battle, in a war zone. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything, to stand. When it comes to talking about the devil... Uh, one of our problems, and one of the reasons why we, we don't often talk about it is we don't take it that seriously. We don't take it that seriously, but C.S. Lewis, one of, a great Christian writer of the mid-20th century, said this. You all probably know him from his Narnia Chronicles, or some of you will know him from his Narnia Chronicles, but he was also a great Christian thinker. He says this, there are two equal and opposite um, errors into which our race can fall about the devil. And the devils one is to believe is to disbelieve in their existence the other is to believe and feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them they themselves the devils are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight another guy put it like this i think it was john mark homer again he said probably one of the greatest moves of the devil was to convince people that he didn't exist because if you don't believe your enemy exists, you know you're in, you're in trouble. So we believe there is a devil. If not, you have to try to find a reason for all that. For the think of the utmost evil in our world, and think there is just psychological or sociological reasons for that. But we know deep down there is something diabolical behind some of the evil that happens in our world—a force of evil, a, a being of evil—that causes. Uh, much of it, ultimately. There's other, also two kind of false moves we can make here related to this, as Christians who believe in the existence of the devil. One is that we can be fascinated with and preoccupied with the devil and demons and that kind of stuff, and we see you know, demons under Every stone, as it were. You hear some people talk about spirits and demons. You think you know, they, know the, they know the name, their address, their shoe size, everything. They, they seem to be so kind of taken up with spirits of this and spirits of that. But the other uh, uh, sort of uh, end of the spectrum is that we could just think if we're struggling with something, it's just, it's just a bit of Christianized self-help we'll deal with it. So if, for example, we struggle with anger... Now, Paul writing to Ephesians about anger, he says, don't give the devil a foothold. Don't give the devil a foothold. Now, if we get preoccupied with, with demons and spirits, we'll be casting this spirit out of us and this spirit out of us to try and get, or get somebody to do that in order to try and get rid of anger. Or on the opposite spectrum, we can just go to an anger management course. But no, it's, it's both. We need to deal with the anger. We need to take control of our anger to get a grip, if you like. If we don't, we, we do give the devil a foothold. You give him a foothold, he'll build a stronghold. And then you may well need deliverance. <laughs> okay? But it's, you, there's an unhealthy kind of uh, extremes on both sides here. I found this helpful for me when it, thinking about my responsibility. Because you can't blame the devil for everything. Okay, we're taking responsibility myself, whilst at the same time realizing there's a spiritual warfare aspect to it. Um, I found this very helpful. If you, if you didn't look after your garden, and it was just full of absolute rubbish, you just turfed out all your rubbish into the garden, what's, what are you going to get there eventually? I'll tell you, you're going to get rats there eventually. If it's your garden is full of rubbish, you will get rats and you'll have to try and get rid of the rats, shoot them, well, whatever. You probably haven't got a gun, but you know, you can, let's just imagine for a moment. You, you can shoot the rats. This is not something I've done, by the way, just in case you You can shoot the rats. But guess what? The most important thing for you to do is what? Clear up the rubbish. Yeah. Now, sometimes we have got demonic influence in our life on things because we've had rubbish in our lives. And we may need to deal with the spirits, the evil spirits. We might need prayer for things. But the best thing to do is to clear up the rubbish and then the rats won't come. Don't give them a foothold. Okay? So there's got to be a balance here. There's there's two wrong moves we can make there. Okay. Now, oh, we didn't read the story, did we? No. Okay. Okay. Um, Do you all know the story of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness? Okay, most people do. Let me just give a very, very brief thing. After he's baptized by John the Baptist, he goes into the wilderness, and he's tempted by the devil for forty days. He's well, first he's fasting, okay, for forty days, and by the end of it, it says he's hungry. You think, duh? Well, he would be, wouldn't he? Okay, he's hungry. He's starving, hungry. And then the devil comes and tempts him. We're going to talk about the three ways in which the devil tempts him. If you can have that ready, we'll have the three temptations later, please, Gina. Okay. I'm going to give you three things, from the three things that Jesus says, ways in which you can overcome the enemy. But before I can do that, I feel I've got to set a few things in place first. And um, I used to joke, it's still true, um, I have long introductions and short messages, okay? So I'm going to do a long introduction. I feel like I need to do a, a long runway today, because there's things we don't take seriously or don't think rightly about. I want to get them in place first. Long, r- long runway. But then I promise you we will take off. It'll be a quick takeoff. I'll give you three things to think about, then leave you in the air, okay? And you can land it in the practical application into your own life, okay? So this is, the, this is the, when is he going to get onto the main message? Now, there's a, it's a long runway. Okay, bear with me. You see, there's two stories behind this story of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. One of the stories is the Israelites being tested in the wilderness for 40 years. So the 40 days of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness is kind of pointing back to, it's reflecting back to the temptation of the Israelites in the wilderness. Um, the, te- the, the, the adopted son... Israel, that's what they was, who Israel was called, the adopted son of God, or sons of God. They were adopted, but they were tested by God to see if they would trust him. To see if they would, you know, when they were going through the hard times of testing, when they didn't have any food or water and so on, whether they would just trust in him or whether they'd want to turn back to their old ways in Egypt or turn around or turn to the side to the other gods and idols around them, or whether they would just trust in him. How did they do? Not good. You can read about it in the Bible. Okay, they did. They failed. The adopted sons were tested in the wilderness, and they failed. And guess what? We would have been the same. We've all failed. We've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. So the divine son is now tested in the wilderness. How did he do? he succeeded. Of course, if you haven't read the story, you don't know that, but I'm telling you the ending. There's a a spoiler. He wins, okay? He overcomes the enemy. So the adopted son is tested in the wilderness and fails, but the divine son is is tempted in the wilderness and he succeeds. You see, we only have hope of overcoming the enemy because Jesus has already overcome him. He has won the victory. At the cross, he won the victory over the devil. He demonstrated it clearly by the resurrection. But he won the victory at the cross. That's why he says it's finished. Our only hope of overcoming the enemy is by recognizing that he's done it, and we've just got to be in him. You see, you ain't that impressive to the devil. Neither am I. In myself, in my own strength, in yourself, in your own strength... The devil can take you. But if you're in him, the one who's already won the victory, then he can't take you. Okay? Because he's won the victory and you're in him. That's why it says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. It's the only way you can do it. Don't think, oh, I think I've kind of, you know, I've been a Christian a bit of while now. I think I'm pretty gifted, pretty strong in the Lord, you know, or just strong. I can take the devil. You can't. It's only in him. It's a little bit like, I've got this as a bit of a dated illustration now. I need to get a new one. I need to watch some more films or something. But there's, uh, you know, the Lion King. This is where I get my best illustration. From. It, the, this, the, the Lion King were Simba when he's still a little puppy. And the hyenas are coming at him. And he makes this roar. And the hyenas suddenly turn around and scarper. And Simba's thinking, oh, yeah, I showed you. And then he turns around and he says it was his dad roaring that caused the hyenas to run. It's not us. It's him. He's the one who's won the victory. We're just trusting in his victory. That's why it's so important you know who you are and where you are and what you have in Christ. Knowing your identity in Christ is so important. This is shown, by the way, because every time the devil tempts Jesus, he uses these words, or he starts with these words, If you're the son of God, or a couple of times he does anyway. If you are the son of God, tell these stones. In other words, he goes after Jesus' identity. Foolish thing because the father has just declared from heaven, this is my beloved son. (laughs) Okay, but he questions identity. And that's what the devil will do. If he can get you off the ground of your identity in Christ, he'll have you. But if you know who you are in Christ, it's so important. Foundational. Did you notice against the temptations last week? Two of the points were against the world, know that you're loved by the Father. Know that you're a child of your Father God. And the temptations against the flesh, know that you are a new creation in Christ. Understanding your identity in Christ is absolutely foundational. Okay. So the first story behind it is the story of the Israelites in the desert. Don't worry. Long run up, quick takeoff. All right. Second story Adam and Eve. Being tempted in the garden. And you find here that the same strategies he uses against Adam and Eve, he uses against Jesus. He's a crafty old devil, but he's not very creative. He's got the same old tricks. So look at Genesis, for example, Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, with me. Did I ask for that one? Yeah, there we go. So this is the devil as a serpent tempting Eve. It says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food. First of all, oh, by the way, before we look at that one, the Apostle John summarizes the three strategies in 1 John chapter 2. He says that this is how the devil tries to do, tempt you. He talks about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Okay, three things. Flesh, eyes, pride. Here the woman sees the fruit was good for food. Ooh. It's going gonna, it's gonna to satisfy her appetite for food. What did the devil do with Jesus? Can you turn these stones to bread? So he's appealing to the lust of, satisfy the, the lust of the flesh for food. Then it says, and that this, this apple was pleasing to the eye. Does the lust of the eyes. Oh, yeah, this looks good. What does he do with Jesus? Look at all these, the devil does with Jesus. Look at all these kingdoms of this world. I'll give you these if you worship me. He says, look around at the attractions of the world. They're the other things that he'll use. And then finally, and also, next one, okay. Also, it was desirable for gaining wisdom um, and so that she would be like God, in other words. So she wants to be like God. Well, she, she's already been made in God's image, but she wants to grasp at being like God, at being equal with God, the very opposite of what Jesus does. She wants to grasp at being equal with God. What does the devil do to Jesus? He says, if you'll just show off, do some spectacular thing to prove to everybody that you're the son of God. He's appealing to Jesus' pride rather than humbling himself before God and doing it God's way. Just do this, show off a little bit and appeal to his pride. And, you know, Jesus, of course, resists him. So there's a parallel here between the garden and the wilderness. Adam and Eve failed in the garden so the world became a wilderness. Jesus succeeded in the wilderness so that once again, the world can become a garden. Okay, isn't that beautiful? I love the beautiful symmetry in the Bible. Okay. So as we come, we're nearly at takeoff. All right? I promise you, we're nearly at takeoff. We're just building up speed. As we come to the main story, there's two other false, possible false moves we can make here. You will see that Jesus overcomes the enemy, the devil here, by quoting scripture. Okay? And we can think, well, all I need to do to overcome the devil, I just get a few scriptures, learn them, tuck them away. Next time he comes, I'll just quote these scriptures out and that'll send him packing. Hmm. I'm not convinced. Jesus isn't using these scriptures like some kind of magic spell. Okay? He's not kind of waving a wand here, a scripture wand here, to get rid of the devil. You see, when Jesus is quoting these scriptures, he's spent a lifetime reading, meditating upon, letting these scriptures shape his values, determine his priorities. This this is this has forged and formed a way of life for him. I put it like this: when it comes to the attack, the, the, the attacks of the enemy, you can't use God like a genie in a bottle. Okay, it's not it's not three wishes here. It's not this is not about a wand we wave, it's a way that we walk. Do you understand? I I mean I've caught the alliteration book. I'm sorry I can't help it, you know, but I you know, it's the way I remember things. It's not a wand we wave. If I just say, Oh, man, shall not live by bread alone, blah. No, no. It's a way that Jesus walks. He's been walking in this way of of depending upon the very words of God for his very life, his whole life. Do you understand? It's a way that we walk. Have I got time? Yeah, let me put it like this. I mentioned earlier that, first of all, you need to understand your identity in Christ. So in Ephesians, for example, at the beginning of, from which we got that passage, standing against the, the, the devil in Ephesians 6, Ephesians 1 and 2 are all about knowing that you are seated with Christ in heavenly places. You know, and that's why we can overcome because we—that's our identity in Christ. That's where I am in Christ. I'm seated with Him. I'm enthroned with Him. You cannot stand against the enemy unless you know that you're seated with Christ. But there's something else. I was given a little book. I don't know if anybody else read this little book when I first became a Christian. Written by a Chinese guy. He was one of the first apostolic ministries in the Chinese house church. Written many years ago. It's by a guy called Watchman Nee. And it's called Sit, Walk, Stand. Sit, Walk, Stand. Brilliant little book. Very, very thin book. You can read it. Sit, Walk, Stand. He's basically making this point. You don't have any chance of standing against the enemy until you know that you're seated with Christ. But in the middle bit, there's the walk. If you're seated, if you're a new creation in Christ, this is how you ought to walk or live. It says, for example, walk in love. It's also true to say you can't stand against the enemy if you don't know, you're seated with Christ. But we can't expect to stand the en- against the enemy if our life is all a mess and we're just living any way we want to. We have to be walking in certain ways. We have to be shaping our life. This, 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 is, this is a way of thinking. It's a way of living. It's the pathways of the heart that are being formed and forged in us. So when I give you these three little verses in a minute, please don't use them as magic spells. They're not ones we wave. They're ways that we walk is that making sense sit walk stand the only way you can do it now I'm not saying by the way in reference to the walk that you have to get your life all perfect and all together before you can overcome the enemy because you overcome him in Christ okay but equally don't think that we can declare it all live however we like and then think we can overcome the enemy it doesn't work that way in fact I got me thinking I remember doing a lot of thinking about the past I mean I don't know if that's a sign of aging or what I don't know but an old chorus we used to sing many, many years ago, back in the 1980s. We used to sing something like this. Trevor will recognize it. Um, I'm not, I don't mean that as an insult, Trevor. I mean, I just <laughs> I'm a conqueror, victorious. I'm reigning in Jesus. I am seated in heavenly places, in him, in him. And the kingdom of God is within me. I know no defeat, only victory. The kingdom of God is within me. I know no defeat, only strength and power. That's how it went. Great, great tune. Um, <clears throat> The thing is, on a Sunday morning, we used to sing that chorus, I know no defeat, only strength and power. And then by Sunday afternoon, I was already having an argument with a mate. You know, I was already anxious about work the next day. I was always getting angry or something or giving way to lust or something. I wasn't walking right. Okay, I was confessing it, but I wasn't walking it. Therefore, I couldn't stand against the enemy. I just want to emphasize it's about the way that we walk, but not for it to become a thing we beat ourselves up about. Okay. We go, ready for takeoff. You ready for takeoff? Yes. Okay, praise God. So, three things that you can do, but not as magic spells, but as things that you're building into your life in order to overcome the enemy. Shown by the three things that Jesus says, which I hope Gina's going to be really good and get up for us at the right point. Okay, the first thing, you know, he's tempted with turning stones to bread so that he could satisfy his hunger. If we've got that one, stick it up. It doesn't matter. I've just got the essence of it there anyway. Hell, these stones have become bread. What does Jesus say? He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, yes, yes, read scripture. Memorize scripture. Meditate on it deeply. Scripture is absolutely crucial in overcoming the enemy. It's your sword. But something comes before that that will cause you to do it. Number one, decide and determine what is going to feed and satisfy your soul. Decide and determine beforehand what is going to feed and satisfy your soul in the deepest places. Are you going to be content with spiritual junk food when He's prepared a feast for you, a table of truth? for you of who you are who he is who you are in christ what you have in christ you only get it if you get feeding on the word of god and it needs to become a practice deter decide and determine what is going to feed and satisfy your soul at the deepest of places he satisfies our soul with the richest affair you don't want to be invited to a michelin star restaurant and then say oh we've got any chicken nuggets you know you don't be satisfied with a big mac When a feast has been prepared for you, the spiritual equivalent of a Big Mac, when a feast has been prepared for you. Take off there, okay? That's the first one. Decide and determine what's going to feed and satisfy your soul in the deepest of places. The second temptation was, look at all these kingdoms of this world. You can have them if you like, if you just worship me. If you're the son of God. No, no, that's, is that the second one? Okay, I've done it in the wrong order, but it doesn't matter. Still all true. Okay. There's one about, I'll give you all these kingdoms of this world. Now, in one sense, you, think, you see, he's a dirty, rotten liar, is the, uh, is, the, is the devil, because they belong to Jesus anyway. God had said to him, I'll give you the nations as your inheritance and the ends of the earth as your possession. The devil has, has, is a usurper. He's an illegal squatter in this world. He, they're not his to give. But anyway, but Jesus said this, worship the Lord your God. Only. Second thing, if you're going to overcome the enemy, f- form these things, this way of thinking, these values into your life. Decide and determine that there is nothing that this world can offer that can compare with the beauty of the Lord. There is nothing, absolutely nothing, that can compare. He alone is worth... Worthy of our worship. See, one thing, one thing have I desired. That will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord, in the presence of God, all the days of my life to behold his beauty. Friend, there's nothing, absolutely nothing that this world has to offer that can compare with him. And we just need to establish that in our hearts day by day. Of course we'll get attracted by stuff. And we think if we have this stuff, this new car, this new house. By the way, by all means, have them. Just don't let them have you. You can have possessions, just don't let them possess you. And sometimes you might think, oh, you know what? It's not, I need loads more stuff. I just, I'm just worried about not having this or not having that. Well, Jesus said, Don't worry about all that. Seek first the kingdom. Seek his presence in your life and on this earth before, and he'll take care of the rest. There's nothing that's worth worrying about and there's nothing that's worth lusting after in this world that can compare with him so decide and determine there is nothing to compare with the beauty of the lord and then finally he is tested by saying look if you're the son of god throw yourself down off this high place and command his angels and they'll lift you up And in other words be a show-off do something spectacular to prove that you're the son of God. Well, you know what? Jesus was going to go a different way to prove that he was the son of God. He wasn't going to do it by showing off, by doing the spectacular. Have you ever wondered, by the way, why Jesus, when he did some miracles, he says, don't tell anybody. It's because he says, I'm, I'm, I'm not here to show off. I'm not here to, look, look how wonderful I am. Look how powerful I am. There's a different way I'm trying to show you. In actual fact, he won the victory. Not just here in the wilderness, but in the garden, the garden of Gethsemane. When he says, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus was going to prove that he was a son of God, not by some spectacular act, but by the act of humble obedience to his father. He did not, he was equal with God. Sure, he could show he was God. He could call 10,000 angels anytime. But he said, I'm not going to grasp at my equality with God. I'm going to humble myself and become obedient even unto death on a cross. Therefore, God has exalted him and given him the highest name. In other words, the way that he teaches us to walk is the way of humility. He says this to them, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And he was referring again to the Israelites of the desert. He says this of them in Psalm 95. He says this, God speaking to the Israelites of the desert. Today, if only you would hear his voice. Do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Testing God is the opposite of trusting God. And in fact, we don't test God in the wilderness. He's testing us to see what's in our hearts. And in those times of trouble, in those times of difficulty... He is testing our hearts. And the third thing I want to encourage you, a way of thinking, a way of walking the ways of the heart, is decide and determine to keep your hearts tender by walking in humble trust with God. When things are going wrong, you don't understand. Don't harden. Don't get hardened and embittered and proudly try to, try to take control. Just trust in the Lord. And walk humbly before him. Another chorus, old chorus comes to mind to mind. You are my hiding place. You, are, I always, you fill my heart with songs of deliverance. Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. I will trust in you. Let the weak say, I am strong in the strength of my God. I will trust in you. My friends, if you want to overcome the enemy, there's no magic spells. There's no quick fixes. It's a way that you walk. And I want to encourage you to walk in these ways. Decide and determine what's going to feed and satisfy your soul in the deepest places. Decide and determine that there's nothing this world has to offer that can compare with the beauty of the Lord. And decide and determine when trouble comes you're going to keep your heart tender and walk in humble trust with the Lord. When Jesus went into the wilderness, it says he was filled with the Holy Spirit when he came out. It says he came in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he went straight to the synagogue, took out the Bible and says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me for he's anointed me to set the captives free. People who walk this way, ordinary people like you and like me, not some great superheroes, just ordinary people like you and me, loving God, letting him, knowing that only he can satisfy us, worshiping him, trusting him. Such people, when we walk like that, we know our identity, and we walk like that, we'll be able to stand against anything the devil throws at us. And Jesus will build his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against him. Amen.